Today I want to begin by introducing you to an ancient way of worship. It's something that Christians have done down through the centuries. It's something that's becoming more and more rarefied. In fact, in some parts of the world, we are called people of the book or people of the word. So I want you to do something that may be a little awkward and a little strange. And reach to the pew rack in front of you and take the Bible out. Put it on your lap and turn to page 450, which is Psalm 78, verses 70 to 72. And when all of the dust is settled, then I'll begin preaching. <laughs> that wasn't you, Edison. Boy, I tell you, you'd be in so much trouble. 450, provided it's all the same Bibles. <coughs> For me to own a smartphone is an oxymoron. You know the saying, opposites attract. A wife is short, I am tall. She is smart, I am. Come on, loosen up, friends. It's a long weekend. Oh, yeah. But there is another reason why I don't want a smartphone. I, I have a flip up phone, you know? I think I'm. I buy those in second-hand stores. I can't find out how to dial my numbers and I'll flip up on But I have my cell and I have texting and I have a call display, which is equally useless because my phone goes off, I take it out, I open it up, and I don't have my glasses on, I have no idea who's calling you. But for me, I don't like the competition in my life of this acceleration of data transfer and this constant invasion of my life with needless interference. For me, I do not want to clutter my day with all of that data. I recall moving here a number of years ago, and I had one friend who moved away. Now I have no friends. No, I had one friend, and uh, he was a pastor. And uh, I was trying to build a bit of a relationship with him, so we would go for coffee from time to time. And he would take out his phone and look at it six to eight times while I'm trying to talk to him. This type of distraction obstructed the conversation, and so when we are and when we are so tied to or indeed addicted to this conveyor of data, we distance ourselves from living, breathing, warm blooded human beings. The point is we need to think carefully about the things that distract us. E-communication is just one such thing. Now, good technology. Used well, it's good, trust me. You all know I went through serious surgery a few years ago. I appreciate every beep in that machine and whatever it is they hit to me with. However, when we rely on or prioritize technology, and for me as well as books, or seminars or workshops, we can see that the continued acceleration of information access has become our focus at the expense of real human contact. This is unhealthy for all life, specifically spiritual life. And it works itself into and out of our church life. So the results can be that our concept of the work of our Lord can become a model or a program or a data or a style 
or market that seeks to attract a religious consumer. And our thinking or practices of leadership can promote such concepts. Now, not so long ago I was walking with a group of people and I was eavesdropping on the conversation behind me because I didn't like what I was hearing. That's you know what it's like, you know? You're talking to your friends like, that's interesting, I don't like that at all. And what had happened was this person was sharing how they had gone to a workshop that offered models of working with people from their faith groups. And that word model came up several times. They talked about how that model had become useful from time to time to use it with people from other faith groups. And the problem was the model had become the main point, not the friendship with the person from another country and another faith group. Again, that model had become something that distanced that person, or those two people actually, from simply being a friend. And depending on the literature, and I've read so much in the last 25 years, but depending on the literature of leadership, that problem can be exactly the same. I get up. <laughs> So when we think about shepherding, as David knew it, 
It has nothing to do with smartphones or models or books or seminars. It arises out of experience. David was with his sheep, and God saw that this experience would make David the shepherd of an entire nation, the people of Israel. My thoughts are that shepherding, which is really just being with each other, is a lost gift. Now let's look at Jesus' example. Matthew chapter 1, chapter 5, verse 1, it's on page 735. Going over to, hang on a second, I've got the wrong page. Oh, bad me. 774. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's right. 735. We've got a different file here. 735 going over to 736. Good to hear those papers shuffle. That quietness up here just terrifies me. I don't know if you know how terrified I get before I come up here. So get to it, please. Come on, get to that page. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. There's two things here in this brief verse that we need to look at. Posture and relationship. Now, when I was in Ukraine the very first time teaching, one of the rather stiff and somewhat morbid American teachers that were there informed me that if I don't wear a jacket and tie, I won't be respected. And whatever you do, don't tell the people you're Presbyterian because they're Armenian. If you don't know what that means, try that sometime amongst Armenians. He says, whatever you do, don't lean on the windowsill. But Jesus, you know, give me a break, I'm a Canadian. But Jesus sat down. In fact, Jesus sat down and he taught his disciples. That's the posture of a rabbi or a teacher. To us it seems, when we look at this scene, informal and somewhat isolated because he's gone up the mountain. But Jesus got away from all the busyness the smartphones, the books, the seminars, in this case, the chatter of the people. He seems to be reclusive and an introvert. Now it's important to understand that if you really look at the influential, influential people often in the church, you don't know about them for a long, long time. Because we forget that often the most influential leaders are the most reclusive, the quiet, the unassuming, the introvert. Everything in the marketplace for leading in a Christian church is extrovert. And none of it fits Jesus. He gets away from people and he sits down and he teaches. Now trust me, I work with dozens of introverts. And they're changing lives all the time. So Matthew 5 in that teaching, Jesus offered life and world-changing words to a small group. And these words were counter-cultural, and, and they were presented with integrity and credibility. He was teaching 
contrary to the religious leaders of the day, and most certainly contrary to the political leaders of the day. And what I believe is, what I've just described in Matthew 5 is, that the primary means we have to influence comes out of what Jesus did right then and there. You see, even in our election, the loudest voice in Canada will not be. We don't need to throw ourselves around. We're Canadian, we're quite polite, trying to say, will you please follow me? It's your children, so, you know, you get going. It's a little different, it's a little different. But we're polite. And I think there's a real picture here that we can connect with. It's a teaching we need to emulate. Jesus was with his disciples. Now over the years I've heard a lot of hot air about the leadership presented by people seeking to change everything without looking at the example of Jesus, who in fact changed everything. But whatever example they might try to pull out of Jesus, they have distorted who he was and what he did. And I found this rather annoying. Being a polite Canadian, I find it difficult to express myself to people like that. But influence does not begin with a model of leadership or evangelism or church government. It begins as we study the life and teachings of our Lord. It begins as we, as, as we see what he did, and it is carried out just as Jesus did, this quietness. Now, of course, he had some powerful events. We all have those. He's walking and talking with these men for three years. It's not big. It's not boastful. It's quiet, interviewed, reclusive. It's those teachable moments we talked about, and it all happens in relationships. I'm not sure I'm the master of any type of building of relationships, but I know I've built many, many of them over my life, and I can, can't tell you how many times, especially when I was living on the West Coast, I've gone up for a student that had a coffee with them. Now, years ago, the doctor took me off coffee, so that might give you some, some concept of what my drinking problem was, but, you know, I met with them for a select reason. I wanted them to have face and a name of someone on campus that was interested in them and would support them. And I would share many times my greatest skill in that conversation with that cup of coffee. I would ask that student a question, whatever it was, and I'd stick that coffee cup in my face so I would shut up and listen to them. And in Matthew 5, Jesus shows us the crucial aspect of building a relationship. Discipling another person is giving full consideration to the whole person to learn their gifts, their capacities, and their competencies, not to exploit them or to drag them into the vision of the organization. It is just to know them. Jesus invested in these men who in turn invested in others and so on down through history to today as we're supposed to copy, emulate this, and then beyond. He did it person to person, not seminar to seminar or text to text. So we need to think about this. If we as Christians are going to gain or regain any sense of influence in the society in which we live, we have to stop taking the courses and start building the relationships. I tell you, 
looking at hypocrite here. I just finished my doctorate ministry. I've taken enough courses for four people. I don't need any more. Someone suggested I take an ESL training program for what I do, and I said very politely, no. <laughs> I have watched in my time and in all the presidents of Christian organizations have made the mistake of ignoring the people for the sake of the vision and the change. Forgetting that it's the very people that are out there doing the work that are building the vision. And the great failure is the loss of quality and competent people who were serving the Lord in significant ways. Or as I was chatting with John Bodkin at one time, we lose our loose cannons. You're not sure, but that's, a, that's an idiom, and it simply means the crazy people who go out there and do weird things and make a difference. Should have pointed myself, because that's my bad idea. But I do crazy things. Ask my wife, uh, short, tall, smart, dumb, sane, insane, things like that. What happens is that the whole, the whole process becomes product-based, not person-based. person-to-person relationships, the more I see how it changes just because you like the person. This disconnection between so-called leadership and the frontline servants is not evident in Matthew 5. I don't think we'll see it evident pretty much anywhere in Jesus' life. Here he sat down and taught his disciples in what I believe were interactive conversations because we know that codices, the Gospels, are Bit of an edit. And Jesus just didn't sit down and say, do this, 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 and this. You can see and hear the conversation. What we get is the essence of it. So to influence others takes time. And we need to slow down and dwell on the friendship. Let me repeat that. We need to slow down and dwell on the friendship. We see this in the foundation of Jesus' teaching. Was relational. He was a friend of sinners. That came friend of us. Now these first three Beatitudes are earth shattering, I think. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. These Blessings shatter our worldviews because it is given for an attitude that is not common. See, the word blessing comes from the Greek, well, I can say this to make it sound intelligent, comes from the Greek makorai. And it goes beyond that idea, as many of you know, that some Bibles use the word blessing, some Bibles use the word happy. It goes beyond the word happy. It includes the idea of, I am with you, I am on your side, and it relates to congratulating or supporting living in a way that is recognized and affirmed. In other words, Jesus is just not saying, you know, good on you, listen up to these words. He's saying, I am with you, I am beside you, I'm supporting you, I'm encouraging you. And his words are deliberate because he knew that all this is needed those who intentionally try to follow his word. And Jesus' words are totally different, again, from the religious and secular teachers of the day, then, and I think to some degree, 
first three Beatitudes counter something, everything, counter almost everything the secular world calls the norm. He begins by saying, and blessing the poor in spirit. Now you know what it's like today, they want you to build up your ego. By the way, if you want to fix that problem, work with students, so crush it. Especially Canadians. Um, but he blesses those who, who, who understand that they can't meet God's standards. In other words, they come to God empty handed, wholly dependent on Him, and saying, I need you in everything. Now, I'm previewing some folks right now on leadership course we're beginning to write. And I'm looking at this and going, I'm not really seeing that in these books. They want to give you a model and the starting point, where they start, you always have to question in any book, for that matter, that, that's a teaching book. They want to put something in your hand. But when we think about prospering Christian ministries, what I've seen in my life is a real dependence on the Lord. The Lord is alive. The Lord is walking with them. And who's ever in that engagement in ministry understands their dependence. Now, I've shared this with you before. From that time in our home, sitting at the table, and someone asked us, why did God send his son and not his daughter? At that moment, you were screaming dependence. Go home and try to answer that. So you do not prosper in leadership because you inject ideas written by other authors. You would prosper in your influence because you understand your circumstances. And prosperity comes when you rise to the occasion that faces you here and now. As you function faithfully, dependently upon the Lord because of those questions and conversations that come out of nowhere. We cannot be disconnected from the person that we are in the presence of. Jesus goes on. He says, blessed are those who mourn. So the first thing he tells the disciples is, you have to be totally dependent upon God. You've got nothing. The second thing is, he blesses sadness. You know, this is a happy, happy world, right? Buy that Lexus, and you'll look like the guy driving it. <laughs> Standard CE automatic nothing. They don't advertise that. But this sadness arises out of recognizing the real conditions that surround us. And it's our empathy towards those conditions and those people. We look and we see the real need, the, the real pain, the real losses, but also the real joy and the real capacity of those who are around us. So if you truly look at the world's needs, we will be sad only as we connect with the people. Just have to look at the news today as Henry was talking about that dead child. The third beatitude says, blessed are the meek. As I said earlier, I've learned that if you work with students, meekness is a guarantee because they will kick the ego out of you. But the meek person makes no claim upon himself or herself. Not showman, they're not self-promoting, they are not the vision caster. It is in the seemingly disempowered posture that the work of the Lord prospers. 
meek person waits to see the Lord's work in others and responds. So essentially what Jesus has said in those three phrases, but what he's done is strip the entire secular world of its premises and say this is the way you ought to be. And I am more and more convinced this is the beginning of influence of leadership. Because it's not us trying to do it. It's us getting out of the way of letting the Lord do it. So to become an influencer as a Christian is to become a contradiction in the world that's around you. We are to be dependent, not independent. Sad, not happy. Meek, not self-assertive. Jesus has this marvelous, quiet, introverted, inclusive way of crushing the things that actually crush us. So how does this bear up in our lives today? Well, it's good to remind you about what is important in faith. And at the risk of contradicting myself, I want to cite a conference and a book that I've recently, I've recently read the conference. I've gone to the conference, or camp, I guess you would say, in the book. Miriam and I had the privilege of attending a family Bible week at Cape Henry Harbor School on Peters Island on the West Coast while we were on holidays, and it was great. It was a good break. And I knew the guys who founded the school or started the school there, Charlie Ford, and I've known him for years. And that whole experience reminded me that the Word of God is what we need and what we need to teach and to study. And again, I've read dozens of books on dozens of things. But it comes down to do I know the Word? And that's what that school does. Every year it teaches the Bible from beginning to end to its young students. And this particular week we had a fellow teaching leadership in Joshua. And it was just Bible teaching. At the same time, I'm reading this book called Slow by Carl Honore. And the author highlights that there are movements now in the world for slow, meaning slow things in music, in food, in cities, in leisure, in children, and they are reacting against the hyper-speed lifestyle that has pretty much infected our entire planet. We're no more rush, rush, rush. We don't need that transfer of information, that data, that phone call, that page. So, so it's sort of saying, let's slow up and dwell on life in real terms. And I put those two together in kind of a reflective time over the summer and I began to realize that we have become so busy doing that we've forgotten where the power comes from. We need to slow up, to be unhurried, to be thoughtful, to be insightful. We need to be like that with each other, with those people out there. I believe that that is the precedent-setting leadership reality that the world requires. We don't get into the race. We step out of the race and say, we don't need this. What we need is to be unhurried and thoughtful and insightful so that we can tend to the real needs of people around us. We need to take that same time and dwell on the teaching that our Lord offers and allow it to work through us. We need to read and study and be taught the Bible. We need to think deeply about the teachings of Jesus. These types of things set a precedence that influences everybody around us. 
And it's that precedence that contradicts the fast living of today. Now think this thought through to how that will set a precedence as a Christian community to influence the world around us. I don't mean you toss out everything. I simply mean you think about an unhurried, thoughtful, insightful, faithful lifestyle. So how cluttered is your life? What interferes with your time with the Lord and others? The life that Jesus presents us with is that of a shepherding care, not a manic striver. The life Jesus presents to us is one that he blesses in his intimate presence and personal care for us, not specialization and data collection. The life Jesus presents is dependent upon him grieving over the needs of others, and to be selfless. It is not success-driven. The solution for leadership and the needs within the church is founded upon the attention that we give each other. It is found here because Jesus, just, just like Jesus, it is the need to disciple others that brings growth and connection with the people who have the need. So let's not just do it. Let's dwell on it, live it, lead it with the indwelling presence of the Lord. Slow down and let Him 